this week on LB in the Basement. You see the two different reactions and ways that police interact with civilians. With the black person, it always seems that they're on high alert. You know, they're always on the edge. But with a white person, they'll give them multiple, multiple chances to draw down, to de-escalate the situation. Good evening. I'm glad to be back. Episode four. We got a good one for you today. Thank you to all my listeners uh, of the pod. Thanks for checking in. Stand with me. Thanks for being patient. The name of this episode is Blue Shield and Bad Apples. Uh, and of course, I'm going to give a shout out to a black owned business here in Memphis. This one goes out to the gourmet food truck. It's Jared Richmond. You can find him on Instagram at gourmet food truck. He's usually parked by the Wise Acre Brewing Company. You can even shoot him a text or call him 901-652-9757. He has some great, great food on that truck, man. Um, everybody's perfecting this salmon uh, club sandwich, and uh, that's definitely my favorite. So shout out to him, man. Keep doing what you're doing, Mr. Richmond. Moving on, man. This this title of this, um, this episode uh, really hit home for me. Blue Shield and Bad Apples, a good friend of mine, Kosi Ukuwu, who will be joining us today for the episode, came up with this topic here. And I'll just take this time to go ahead and introduce him. Kosi, a collegiate friend of mine. We went to UTC together, University of Tennessee at Chattanooga. Very, very close friends. Consider him as uh, one of my my brothers, man. Uh, how you doing this evening, Kosi? How you doing, man? Thanks for me. Absolutely, absolutely. Tell us a little bit about how did this topic come to you? Like, uh, why did you call me about this topic? Why is it why is it so important to you? Well, at the time, I believe there was an um, uh, incident in Chicago or Philadelphia, Jeffrey Austin or uh, something like that, if I'm not mistaken. And he was bombarded. And um, yeah, Jeffrey Austin was his name. And he was bombarded by undercover cops, eventually gunned down. And it led to a conversation with uh, Lyndon. And I was just curious as to, uh, you know, there were officers there aware they didn't, they didn't know, announce who they were. They just drew their weapons and expected a normal civilian to act casually, especially, you know, African American in this climate. And, um, I seen a black guy there and I was just like, he didn't have the authority or even the wherewithal to de-escalate the situation or speak to his white counterparts to let him know, hey, this can turn deadly real quick, you know? It just baffles me how black officers who, who say that they joined the force to do a better job and change the outlook of cops' perspective towards African Americans never speak up or how bad apples continue to remain on the force and there's just no consequences for these individuals who blatantly do things that disrespect African Americans and uh, people of color and minorities. So that's why I uh, brought up that conversation and I figured who better to answer this type of uh, question than LB. Word, word. Uh, so just to make sure I'm understanding you correctly, you're saying that uh, why aren't the good officers not stepping up to the plate to try to uh, get rid of the uh, misconduct that's happening in the field? Yeah. I got you. Okay. 
Yeah, this is definitely uh, something that needs to be discussed. And I will say, I do think there is a blue wall of silence. So, and what I mean by that is, I do feel like officers turn their back on uh, some misconduct issues. It's a little puzzling uh, and disturbing to think about, but most officers, um, they try to go to work, come home, just like, you know, any other, you know, day job that you have. And it's a lot on their plate. It's a lot of things to think about when you have a, a corrupt officer not following the law. You got one hand, if you try to tell on the officer or go to your subordinates, uh, you know, how would you be looked at? How would you be veered? What kind of consequences will come from the back end from that? You know, will your partners back you up after that? And then on the other, it's like, you know, a good reputation can be difficult to develop, but extremely easy to lose. You get what I'm saying? So it, it is so a tough to deal with. As for you as a cop, if you happen to see corruption amongst your division, how would you handle it? Since you're saying that there are different factors that uh, are attributed to peer pressure or even breaking that wall of silence, what would you do in this situation? Of course, we know that this is hypothetical, but you know, I could take your word face value for it. All right. So I remember like being in the academy. And, uh, or even being interviewed for the police department. And they would ask you questions to try to see, like, uh, are you an honest person? You know, if you saw someone doing this, would you tell, you know? And so to me, that, that's kind of, that's kind of weird because I kind of feel like they do hide things to try to protect the integrity of certain cases. And then for political reasons as well, the police department to me is just a big political field, uh, that some people, forget about sometimes, you know. So to answer your question, it really just depends on what it is. When it's when it comes to someone else's life, then absolutely I would do whatever I needed to do to make sure that, you know, I'm being as honest as per as possible. Uh, if that meant that I would have to uh give in on an officer, then that's just it. To me, my livelihood and my reputation is, is, is more important than uh, the backlash that I probably will receive from some of the other people in the department who think I should never tell on an officer for doing anything wrong. Mm -hmm. But let's go in a different direction. So there's other misconducts than just um, shootings, right? Or of course, one doing things. So like, let's just say a, a patrol officer having sex on duty, right? So no, say if I know my partner, he dips off and has sex on duty well, stuff like that. So to me, those type of misconducts lead to the other type of misconducts, if that makes any sense. Right. Yeah. So in most cases, you will find that officers will say, nah, you know, I ain't getting into that. That's none of my business. And that's kind of the stand I take on that. But then again, you know, if he does that, then what's next? He's stealing. Then what's next? He's, you know, he's just involved in this corrupting in space and environment, which ultimately leads him to making more bad decisions in the field. And then if you go there, you really, you actually really should try to try to help him out. Some of the things that happen early on, and I feel like in an officer's career could lead up to these bad decisions that they're making. And I know we want to really stay on shooting. So I think that that's a big part of what we need to, to try to work. And uh, with that being said, I, I just really feel like the departments, we don't do enough training, enough frequent training. 
Uh, we don't have an in- intensive understanding of, you know, the society that we live in as well. So how training works is, you know, they'll come and I'll be like, hey, you need three people or do anyone want to go to this training being offered at the academy? And then like five people raise their hand, but they only pick like two. So that's just kind of how training goes. And it usually kind of goes by seniority, like who wants it, who doesn't want it. But it doesn't happen enough. It's never just like any mandatory training as far as this type of uh to deal with these type of situations, like constantly every day, all the time. Like in Tennessee, so like I'm just going back to 2015 in Tennessee. I want to ask you a couple questions. Like 20 males were shot in Tennessee in 2015, zero females, right? Mm-hmm. All right. 13 were white, four were black. We got one Hispanic and one other and one unknown. So that that's the 20 people. So uh, Tennessee, you know, this is the state where you're from, where, you know, where I, where I live now, I live in Memphis. So what's your thoughts on, you know, well, first of all, what was the what was the percentage of them being black? So four were black out of the four were black out of the twenty. Okay, this is just Tennessee. Okay, so I just want to know like your thoughts on those numbers as far as as it from the Tennessee uh, state from your perspective on that. Well, all right, so four out of the twenty, and I can't even remember. I don't know if you have the. Uh, Availability to look up what that uh, percentage of black people um, being killed in retrospect to white folks as far as um, officers? Um, no, 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 no. Civilians. Civilians, okay. Yeah. Um, so that's 20%, 20% of that. And then we account for, I, I believe it was like 13% of the US population. So even though that's a small sample size, that's still fairly large. Um, four out of 20, considering the fact that there are more Caucasians inhabiting the world than there are African-Americans. Um, so you're saying that our race accounts for more deaths considering the small sample size. There, yeah. There, there is and, a, and that's what I'm asking if you're able to look that up, because there were actual statistics. And uh, unfortunately, I'm not prepared or have that in front of me. But I, I, I remember I, I, get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. I understand yeah. what you're saying. You're saying uh, throughout the whole world. Mm-hmm. Uh, or throughout the U.S. Whites, U.S. Throughout the United States, there are more whites than blacks, but we still account for, for, for a larger the, number. Yeah, for the population that they are, yes. that we, we hold, we still account for a larger number. Yes. According to our population. I got you. Yes. Yes. And so for me, there's no way around it, in my opinion. If I'm just outside looking in, just looking at statistics, it seems to me that it's it is intentional, whether it is or it isn't. That's an alarming number. And right. with the with the use of social media, which adds as added evidence and information, you see the two different reactions and ways that police interact with civilians. With the black person, it always seems that. They're on high alarm, high alert. You know, they're always on the edge. They're trigger happy. But with a white person, they'll give them multiple, multiple chances to draw down, to de-escalate the situation. You know, there was one instance where a white lady berated officers. And (laughs) during the comments section, you saw a black person could never, 
you know, and not too long ago, I remember seeing a white dude wrestle two cops, steal their car and left. He beat them with the baton and left <laughs> and was alive to tell the right. tale. That's and, you know, at, right. you know, we're not going to, you know, act like that's just a, a one-off. This happens on a regular occurrence and that for a black person, it's a death sentence. So that's where my bias comes to play because it's just like we're not given the same opportunities. Cops, even though you tell me that there's not proper training, cops know how to de-escalate a situation. Cops know what to do to make the mood change and how to make sure that everyone goes home safely. So for me, that's where the bad apples come into play because I do feel that it's racially motivated for a number of these cops to get a reaction so that they can shoot and be justified. And you all know the loopholes and what actions are taken so that it doesn't hold in a, 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 a trial of court. So that's why I say, you know, there's a lot of bad apples and, you know, just even talking like cooler talk. Everyone knows that one person who has, you know, an iffy background and who they associate with and whatever they discuss in the cop car. It's just like it doesn't make sense to me why they let it go for so long and there's no repercussions. And then for black people who know who these individuals are, aren't ratting them out aren't doing anything in their power to make sure that no death occurs in that precinct. So that's why I have this role amongst the cops and disdain. It's because these evidence of what I'm, what I'm presented and what I've experienced, it's not fair. And that's why I'm coming to you asking you, what's your take on it? How can we do better as a society or what can I do? as, you know, a civilian to calm my nerve and if there is any recommended action after this uh, conversation. I got you, man. It's a great topic. Um, intensive understanding of society, man. Like, I really truly feel like some of my male uh, co-workers, male white co-workers, don't have a true understanding of the society that they work in. And I think that training Training will go a long way. Another one of our friends, Brandon, mentioned, you know, it should be mandatory community service, right, for officers, mm-hmm. which I think is a grand idea. And I just thinking about that, it's crazy that there isn't, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's crazy that they don't make us, you know, do something in the field as far as building relationships with the, with the community. It's like it's voluntary instead of mandatory. So that's one way to combat that. All right. And speaking on when you say it seems like officers are more lenient with whites, that's just so easy for me to answer and for me to understand as being an officer. And it's just fear. Your actions on a scene, in a situation, your your adrenaline, is that's all controlled by your fear to me. And everyone's going to be fearful. I'm fearful on every traffic stop I make, but how I'm, how I'm able to control that is different. That's, that's the type of, that's what, that's what matters. So if a male white is approaching another female white, his fear level is going to be down. That's just to me, human nature. I don't think that that has anything to do with, you know, 
he his intentions as far as is it is it black or white when he's dealing with a black person. So you don't feel it's racially motivated then? I feel some are, but not as many. Not a majority? Not yeah, not majority. So I do feel like this happens, but not the majority. So the majority of the shootings to me, it, it, it's not like that. I just really feel like it's just fear. I feel like, as I mentioned in like episode one or two of my pod, I feel like if a male white is encountered with a black, he's just on high alert. He's, he's scared. So that may lead to him not putting up a fight or he may be quicker to result to his weapon. And those are things that need to be addressed. I feel like that needs to be addressed. So, and just to kind of back that up a little bit to me, like in Tennessee, there were 13 white people shot, you know, you know, there were four blacks. I kind of feel like the, the, the statistic you stated earlier, you know, we, we, we make up a very small amount of the population in the United States, but we're, we're shot at this alarming rate. And I just think it just goes back to that fear. You said that, um, we do a good job of hiding, you know, some of the things that needs to be put in. Uh, if a, if an officer is involved in a shooting in Tennessee, they have taken away the department's rights to investigate it. So if that makes any so if I shoot, if I'm involved in a shooting, the department doesn't handle it anymore. It used to be the department handles it, but now it's a different bureau. It's called the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation. So that was, that's a neutral party that has nothing to do with us that comes in and investigates and it goes from there. So to me, that's a good thing because, you know, it kind of turns the table on, you know, what a corrupt officer can do after the, you know, during the investigation. Right. Mm -hmm. I think that's something that's important for people to know that most of the cases are not handled. It's taken out of their hands. If it's, if it gets to be a high profile, but in Tennessee, it's all police involved shootings, not just if it's high profile or not. I'll speak that, to one. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was going to say that just led me to remember like the uh, a Tamir Rice shooting. We all know that Tamir Rice, 14 year old playing with an airsoft gun, got reported on by potentially a Caucasian. Cops came basically to drive by shooting on him. Cops were not found guilty due to some stipulation in law. The officer wasn't asked to be fired, but he stepped down. But then I think a whole year later, he applied in a different state and actually got the job and was reinstated. And thankfully, social media and Twitter made it apparent that, hey, this is the same cop that killed Tamir Rice. Why does he have a job as a cop again? And eventually succumbed to peer pressure and bad publicity and stepped down again. Why is it that these bad apples get an opportunity to police again? Because, because I know that in any situation, in any professional situation, like if a doctor did misconduct and wasn't on point and got found guilty for killing patients due to negligence or whatever the case may be, He's suspended and expelled from practicing medicine ever again. And, right. you know, vice versa for lawyers or anything else. So why is it that you all get second chances, third chances, slaps on the wrist and things of that nature? That's to me is still bad, bad apples being reaped and sowed. All I can say for that one is, you know, if he was found like, you know, 
No charges were brought against him. He's stepping down merely because of the backlash from the community. Mm-hmm. That's the only thing that's keeping him off the job. Because, I mean, if you go and apply for a job in, you know, so say if you went to apply for a job, what what, what would be the reason for not hiring him legally? Because he killed somebody for no he reason. He wasn't found guilty. You can't hold that against him. But as a police officer, and you know the evidence and you saw it, would you hire him? But, but I'm just I saying, mean, as, as, no, I, I will pass well, on That's him. the point. That's the whole point. You're, you're, you know, it's not like this was a private case. You know who the individual is and you, you know, know the case. Is, but he, he won the case. Yeah, but I get it. But as a police officer, if I am hiring good people on my force, why would I hire somebody who you know didn't follow protocol? Who just basically drove up to him, maybe said, put down your gun, shot him, and then left the scene. If you feel that way. So as me, I'm the head of the police department of Memphis, Tennessee. If he came here and I had to interview him, then me personally, I would say I don't think he's fit. I don't I feel like he maybe needs to, you know, try a new profession because I felt like maybe that was a bad shoot. You know, just because I feel like it was a bad shoot doesn't mean it was or it wasn't, right? This is just our opinion. But what if the department he went to, the person who interviewed him or their feelings are totally different? Like I said, the only reason he's kept out of the department is because of the backlash, to be honest. He would have stayed where he was. He had to step down. That means he quit because he couldn't take the heat. He had to move because he couldn't take the backlash. So it's about opinions. You know, it's just like with the presidency now. We have so many different opinions about Trump. Everybody has their likes and their dislikes, but it's just really our our opinion. He wants to build a wall. We think it's dumb, but it's our opinion. You know, like it's that's just the way of the that's just the way of the world. Is it wrong? I mean, it can, it can be, but that's one of those no ex. I can't give an explanation. I can't give you a yes or a no, right? I could just give you an explanation for why I think it is. You know, what's crazy. I'm looking at these statistics for the for Tennessee. One of these shootings, I was on the scene. So one of the blacks in 2015 that was killed. I made the scene. I was one of the first officers on the scene. Now that I think about this, this happened in 2015. It was name was Darius Stewart. He was a 19 year old black man. This was July 17th, 2015. I made the scene of this. Um, It was in Memphis. The report says he fought back. When officers attempted to handcuff him, I remember this uh, during a traffic stop. So a neighboring uh, station. So we're broken up into stations and then each person has their own ward, which is like an area of the city that you patrol. So this particular area of the city that the officer was patrolling was right next to mine. So the car went out. You know, I went over there. He made a traffic stop. He attempted to handcuff someone to get him out the car because they had a warrant, but they began to fight with him. So it ultimately ended up, he ended up shooting uh, the 19 year old. And this was a male white officer. So Stewart was unarmed. So what I remember from this and from what the officer was saying was, I didn't see it, but what I remember what the officer was saying that, uh, you know, Stewart was reaching for his weapon and trying to get his weapon. And uh, that's when he retreated and uh, fired shots and uh, ultimately ending Stewart's life. But this scene, what I really re- want to bring home is this scene was so chaotic, bro. Like, uh, the officer's belt was ripped off. 
I couldn't do anything but put myself in a situation. And all officers, any officer probably listening to this podcast is going to be like, you know, you put yourself in that situation. You can't never say what you would do, you know. So I do want to keep that in mind. You know, I, I don't know what I would have done in that situation. All I can do is quarterback. So that goes back to that fear thing again to me. You know, if I'm fighting with an unarmed, you know, person, I kind of feel like I should be able to handle myself, especially a 19 year old, right? Mm-hmm. This wasn't a big dude. And to be all fair, I know this is going to sound crazy. This dude was kind of a little feminine, if you get what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. So he was kind of a little feminine, uh, a high pitched voice, if you get where I'm going. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, he, he, he refused to be handcuffed. They ended up wrestling and, you know, he ended up get, being, being shot. That's that fear thing. Uh, and that's something I was personally, personally involved with because I was there. You could tell that, uh, the officer was, was, uh, shaking up. And how, how do you think that, um, do you think that most officers could you, can you see that? Can you put yourself in that situation and, and see yourself fighting for a while or, would you think that you would be more, you know, if you were an officer, more uh, quick to, to go to your weapon? Well, to th- well, because of my stature, no, I could definitely take whoever, unless he's like an expert in jujitsu or something like that. But my other thing was, did y'all actually see the tape? Was it, was, did he have body camera? Nope. This is before body camera. Oh, this is before body camera. Because I know yeah. that what I've also tend to see is that officers exaggerate their stories in comparison to what the videotape and there's a lot of that going on you'll hear yeah. like even the that uh, uh Jeffrey Dennis his name is Jeffrey Dennis not Jeffrey Austin the officers right. within the Jeffrey Dennis uh misinterpret or misrepresented their uh, their story and uh in comparison to what the actual video showed i mean what they said was uh he was uncooperative Reverse, tried to slam or hit two cars, was um, retreating and almost hit an officer. So then that's when we decided to take action. But what you see is the officers reaching in this car, breaking his windows, already have guns drawn. The dude was in disarray and scared without knowing, you know, no badging, just guns. He just tried to, yeah, just tried to flee the situation and they shot him. So of course I'm always go, and uh, support whatever the black guy, even though he doesn't have his own testimony. But I, I, I could never really honestly take his side of the story because who knows what really happened. You know, I, I remember one of our mutual friends telling us there was one case of a black dude who was sleeping outside of an apartment and the officers woke him up and they shot him, but tried to say he was reaching for a gun or something like that. Yeah. And dude yeah, had no weapon. Dude had, no, and it was in Memphis, dude had no weapon. Um, mm-hmm. he was, uh, disoriented when he woke up. They just shot him, but their re- recount of the story was completely different. So bad apples, it, it, it does help bring to light what factors you all have to go against. But at the same time, I just feel like if y'all are fighting for justice and you all are trying to protect those who can't protect themselves from police and do all good work, I just feel as a black officer, it's your duty, regardless of the repercussions that may take place, report these bad apples, report, you know, break this blue 
while silence, let's have some reformation within the police community so that when you see the bad apple, he's excluded and it's a one off because what's happening to our people and to minorities and pe- people of color, it's just not fair. And um, I'm sick and tired of it, but you know, there's no real solution to it. Yeah, hopefully. What? There is, there is. I mean, for one, just officers have to quit being scared. Uh, you know, officers think about, you know, if I say something, you know, how would the department look at me? If I'm making a scene or a traffic stop, will they continue to back me up? If I'm making calls and no, I don't have any backup because I told the truth about a corrupt officer, then that's a problem, right? Mm-hmm. That's a whole other situation. That means I'm on my job and I can't even perform it safely because I have no backup because I told the truth. So I just think a better, like I said, better training uh, and better supervisors stepping up to help with that will, will actually work. And then that community service, man, like I'm just going to keep shouting out Brandon. He's supposed to be on this with us, but <laughs> that was, that was great. You know, uh, it should be mandatory, like mandatory community service. Like that's crazy. Like I, that's something I want to bring to my department, man. I'm, I'm going to definitely try to reach out and try to try to talk to some people about that. Yeah. So that's a that's a good thing. Um, how, how are your uh, accounts with police these days? So like when you you're pulled over, how, how's it? How are your stops going? Like, how do you feel? Well, I haven't been stopped in a minute, but I anytime I see a cop, man, I'm I'm just it's thinking, right. Yeah. I'm, you know, I instantly get sweaty. If right. He's, if he's following me, I'm just like, damn. What's the next night I can just make that quick left and just have him not, you know, trail behind me. But the last time I was stopped, it was due to bad tags, I'm going to say, people I purchased and wind down, turn off the music, had my hand on top of the steering wheel. You know, I I love my life and I, I know that all it takes is one wrong comment and it could be taken. Um, by a cop, but it's not a feeling that I love. You know, it's not one that my white coworkers ever experienced or anything of that nature. I, you know, I have a strong disdain for, uh, police officers. So that's not fair too. That's not fair that your experiences are different from other people in the world, right? Mm-hmm. That's just really how I feel about it. Like, it's not fair that I have to be scared when I get pulled over by police and he doesn't, right? Like, yeah. you know, where's this fear coming from? And I mean, I get you. I mean, just being so, thorough when I when he's asking for something, I have to communicate that, like, hey, listen, I'm going to my glove box to go get my insurance. Right. You know, just things that my counterparts probably won't ever have to do. And don't think, don't think that that goes away for me. When I get pulled over, I'm, I'm the same way. Yeah, that's true. I can't yell out the window. Hey, I'm police. You know, like it's. it's yeah. I mean, <laughs> so uh, it's the same feeling. I'm sweaty and I'm a the police, man. So mm-hmm. it's there. So I'm, yeah, I'm there. I, I think I remember reading that um, uh, black officers are killed more by undercover, like their counterpart, yep. than the white officers. And even, you know, it's definitely one of those uh, areas where it's not easy. This job is not easy. It's not for everyone. You know, sometimes I wonder if it's for me. So I, I got you. I'm with you, man. Yeah. But before I let you go, man, I gotta, I gotta get the people what they want to hear, man. What's that, man? Oh, man, we we gotta talk about this this cozy love life, man, man. So, 
<laughs> when, when is my man settling down, man? Where's wifey? Where's is she around the corner? She close? Like what we what we got going on here, man? You gonna as my man Quez would say, man, you're gonna be lonely, man. What's what's going on? The way things are trajecting. No time soon, man. No I'm just uh <laughs> I'm striking out right now. I can't find love in the right places. So it's not me now. It's not me now because I have been I have been trying to slow down and uh, act right, and uh, it's not happening. So just know it's not due to my uh, fault. I've been trying. <laughs> hey, Mama, Mama Ukubu wants some grandkids, man. She has all these boys. How many is y'all? How many brothers you got? Four. Four, four, four. So you got four brothers. She has five boys, ladies and gentlemen. No, four. Mama four boys. Oh, four boys. Yeah. And, and no, no grandkids. Yeah. So uh, we'll need you to. Try a little harder, man. Uh, you were put here to uh, reproduce, man. <laughs> well, I'll be out, man. Uh, if you have any eligible prospects, let them know. You've got a, <laughs> you've got a little bro who barely has some. Ukuwu has to live on. The last name has to move on. Somebody got to carry the throne when y'all gone, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah man. But I appreciate you me. giving me a uh, platform just to, you know, let people know what we talked about. So continue um, doing a stand-up job in the community of uh, Memphis. Uh, I can't uh, uh, express how how much you mean to uh, me and our peers and uh, what a good example of leadership you've done. So hopefully it is contagious and other cops you know, can act the same. Man, that's what we're here for, man, to make a change, man. It's always something that can be done, always. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, man. Thanks for being a guest, man, and I'll see you soon. All right, then. Cheers. That's going to conclude the podcast for today. I won't be having any sports on this episode. You can connect with me on Instagram at LB901Talk. DM me. Let me know what you guys want to talk about, and I'll definitely get it on the podcast. As always, thank you for listening, and I'll see you guys on the next episode. I'm out.